Welcome to the SBCA podcast, Component Connection. Hello, my name is Sean Shields, and today I'll be your host for this SBCA podcast series, looking at how component manufacturers across the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in today's market. My guest today is Jason Blinker, owner and president of Blinker Building Systems in Amherst, Wisconsin. Blinker Building Systems delivers components to customers throughout the Midwest, from Michigan in the East to South Dakota in the West. Out of their single facility, they annually produce about 8 million board feet for use in single family, multifamily, agricultural and light commercial buildings. Jason has been in business for 25 years and has helped his family business transition into Blinker Companies, which operates five independently run businesses. Jason, thanks for joining us today. You know, your family started their own uh, general contracting business in 1974. Uh, what led them to begin manufacturing their own wall panels? Well, it's great to be here, Sean. I really appreciate being invited as a guest. Um, it's a great question. We get it a lot. Uh, you know, my dad. My dad's a pretty uh, innovative guy. He uh, grew up on a farm, so he knew uh, a lot of different things and how to engineer different things. Uh, he actually was a was a master welder uh, as well. So he's got a very diverse background, and I think. The biggest thing he was looking at here in central Wisconsin, the weather is sometimes less than ideal. And how can we keep, how can we make our people more productive um, than, than they are out on, out on the job site in the rain and the mud and the snow. Uh, so he started in, in basically 1994 about, uh, started building wall panels uh, exclusively for their own projects, the homes that they were building. But that's really what, what got started uh, in wall panels and, and you know, since then we've we've expanded it into its own standalone company and uh, ex expanded to serving other builders and contractors throughout the Midwest. So then, at some point, you added roof and floor trusses to to basically make all of the the framing structure. What what led to that expansion? You know, that's uh, in in 2004 we decided to build a new facility. We were really we were landlocked where we were. We couldn't uh, couldn't add on, couldn't expand our buildings. So we really started looking at our business plan and and kind of looking towards the future, what that really looked like. And uh, about that time, obviously the market was really healthy in early 2000s, and in 2004 the market was pretty healthy. And uh, we were dealing with several different trust manufacturers at the time, and we realized that you know not being able to control the design of the product, not being able to control the order that, that they're delivered in um, and the time of day when they're delivered, uh, we thought we could have more control if we added that. So when we designed our facility, we designed it uh, so that we could add floor and roof trusses so that we really could uh, do everything in-house and be able to provide the products that, that our field crews uh, needed in the order that they needed them uh, and, and really take control over that that whole process. Hmm. Well, let me back up just a little bit, Jason. How did you end up getting involved in your family business? Where did you start off with the company? <laughs> uh, I started off, uh, you know, tagging along with my dad to job sites when I was probably five or six years old. Uh, when I was in probably 10 or 12, I used to get to spend a little bit more time out there. Uh, my uncle worked for, with my dad at the time and uh, as a Finnish carpenter, uh, he'd have me picking up nails and, and sorting nails for him. Uh, and then when I was in high school, I'd, I'd work full time in the summers uh, for my dad out in the out in the crew building houses, uh, worked at a lumber yard uh, in the evening. So I 
you know, been in the industry and in the construction industry and in the building materials industry, uh, you know, really my whole life. And, and uh, I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed seeing something rise out of the ground, seeing, being able to drive down a street and say, hey, we built that, we built that. And it gives you a, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of pride that, you know, we make things, we build things. And, and you know, our, our goal and our vision within our company is really, we're going to build something, let's build something great. And that's really what we try to do every day and try to get the rest of our team to help us uh, do that. Well, you know, Jason, it's, it's evident that you have a passion for the industry. I, I'm curious, was there a, a moment that um, like a defining moment or, or someone in your life that helped spur that passion that made you realize, you know, this is in my blood, this is something I want to do as a career? You know, it was, uh, I think when I was in high school, there really was something I always wanted to do. I looked up to my dad, I looked up to my uncle, uh, and again, saw that they made something and they built something and they were building phenomenal, beautiful houses with intricate detail and um, you know, they were well known for their craftsmanship and their ability. And, and I think it really started there. And, uh, you know, for the component industry, I think getting into that opened my eyes to a whole another set of opportunities to look at how we've done things historically for the last hundred years. And, you know, there's got to be a better way. They don't build cars in the driveway. They don't build computers and, um, you know, they, they build these things on assembly line. After I went off to college, after I went to college, I went to work for Centex Homes, one of the largest uh, national builders at the time, and really took a look at, at their systems and their the way their process of essentially manufacturing a house on site. I mean, that's really, at the end of the day, that's what builders do. They're manufacturers, whether they want to admit it or not, but they're manufacturing out in the field and, you know, taking a look at some of the systems that they had in place and I kind of made a decision that I didn't want to live in Virginia anymore and, uh, you know, talked to my parents and said, you know, I'd really like to move home and try to expand our manufacturing operations. I think there's a real opportunity in the marketplace as the workforce ages and we don't have the carpenters and the skilled craftsmen coming into the industry. We need to be looking at more efficient ways to build these buildings and, you know, what, it, what can we do? What value can we add to the process to make it more efficient and be able to hopefully keep home ownership affordable for everyone. That's pretty profound, Jason. That was kind of a long-winded answer to your question. I've had several people in my life that have, have continued to inspire me in this industry um, and keep me, keep me sharp and keep me excited about the next thing that this industry has. I, I look at the Dwight Heichel was a, was a pretty big influence, not only on me, but a lot of people, but just some of the things, you know, he pulled me, me aside early on when I got involved with, with SBCA and got me engaged and, you know, just people like that, that take the time and pull you in and just give you a, a, a different perspective and just kind of recharges you and says, you know, yeah, that, this is why I'm in this industry. People have good ideas and how can we take them and execute on them? Well, given all the forward-thinking ideas that you had and were exposed to, how have you implemented those at Blinker? How has Blinker made themselves um, unique uh, and different from the other component manufacturers in your market? You know, I think we have a little bit different thinking process or thought process. I think we begin with the end in mind, and not that others don't, but I think we're, we're trying to solve a bigger problem than just 
you know, a pointy thing on top of the roof. Uh, we're trying to look at how, how can this whole thing be integrated together? And, you know, we're, we're more of a fully integrated. We've got our own install crews out in the field. We've got our own cranes. We've got our own trucks. We've got our own trailers. Um, and that really helps us drive that process and streamline that process where I think, you know, most component manufacturers are just that they're just, they're product manufacturers. They deliver to the job site and, and not that they don't give support out in the field, but they're um, not necessarily, it doesn't affect their bottom line. If those trusses are out of order, it doesn't necessarily affect their bottom line where, you know, we, we have that, we're cognizant of that every day that if we can do something in the shop, that's going to make the guys out in the field. Cause it's, it's still raining outside. It's still hot outside. It still snows outside. How can we make their jobs easier, faster, and better? And, you know, that's what we try to challenge our designers and our, uh, our, our, production team out on the floor, how can we add value to make our products better than anybody else's? So I think just that vertical integration and, and being involved in the process and, um, you know, knowing knowing what a plumbing system is, what an electrical system is, and trying to be able to coach and train our people to have an understanding that it's not, this building isn't about us. It's, it's about, ultimately, it's about the homeowner that's going to live there. So how can we integrate as much of that as possible into our process. Interesting. Jason, do you think it's it's your family's history as a contractor that has led Blinker to sort of take that approach or did that come out of, again, seizing opportunities or why is it that your company decided to take that approach? Um, I think early on, you know, it, it, you know, we, we've, we've really got two histories. We have the start of our construction company 70, in 74, and then, you know, 20 years later, we got into wall panels and became a manufacturer. So I th absolutely, it had an impact on who we are and, and why we do what we do. Because, you know, my mom always says, if you know better, do better. So let's, we, we took a look at how the existing marketplace functioned. And to me, it was dis dysfunctional. And how can we make our process better and you know a lot of cms in our in our marketplace sell to lumber yards that lumber yard turns around and sells those products to the builder that builder turns around and sells that product to the homeowner and it's like there, there's too many you know if you're playing telephone tag with four different people there's a lot of loss of information so you know we made the choice that we're going to go direct to builders in our marketplace and that you know certainly upset a few people i'm sure at the time but it if you're not adding value in the step, that's the whole point of lean, lean anything is take the non-value added item out of the equation. So, you know, sorry, Mr. Lumberyard, you weren't adding value to that customer. And in some cases they were taking away value because they weren't getting the information that we needed, you know, to be able to deliver on that product. Hmm. And obviously that's part of the reason why a lot of lumberyards have their own manufacturing now, because it, it, again, it's that communication piece and, now, you know, they're integrated together where, you know, there's some standalone manufacturers that, you know, still sell primarily through uh, an independent lumber yard. And that's fine if that's how your business model works. I just, I don't know that long term that that's, you know, through consolidation and vertical integration of, of other companies. Um, I personally think you're going to see more companies like ours, not less. I, you look at Katera and you look at Integra and some of those guys, they're they're more similar to what we've already been doing than they are to the existing business model that's out there. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Jason, going back to sort of 
getting into manufacturing, you started with wall panels. That, that's kind of an interesting place to start um, for our industry, at least from the component manufacturing side of things. Most component manufacturers start with roof trusses. But you started with wall panels, and I know you and I have had a, a few discussions of this over the years. Can you share with everyone a little bit about your approach to getting uh, framers in the field who are used to stick framing walls uh, to get them to transition over to installing wall panels, how they eventually saw the value of uh, that approach and that product? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really great question, Sean. I think uh, it's not always easy. You're right. We, we, we came about this industry completely backwards from more, especially wall panels. You ask, you said you made the comment that it's interesting. We started with wall panels. Well, I had carpenters who knew how to build walls. So for us, it was a logical step into the component industry because we were already building walls on, out on the job site. Building walls in a factory isn't a lot different. I mean, fast forward 20 years and yeah, it's a lot different today as far as what, what we have for tools and equipment, but to get started in it, it wasn't a whole lot different than what they were doing on the job site. So us getting into roof trusses was more of a leap because we didn't have the engineering expertise. We knew how to install trusses. We didn't know how to design and engineer uh, engineer them. So it was a logical step for us to start with wall panels and, and then we got into floor panels and then we did roof trusses last. And uh, you know it was like, why didn't we do this 20 years ago? Because roof trusses was a lot easier. There's a lot more software. There's a lot more uh, machinery and equipment already set up for roof trusses. It was relatively quote unquote, easy to get into the roof trust business. Um, we had instant um, demand for our product because we were buying them anyway from you know other, other manufacturers. So um, from that point, it was pretty easy for us. And you know one of the things that we talked to the framers that we work with, um, the first thing they wanna know is, well, what am I gonna get paid? So you tell them whatever, you know, whatever the numbers are, if they're getting paid $10 a square foot to stick frame and you're going to give them five bucks a square foot to to install wall panels the first thing they think is there's no way in heck I'm going to be able to, to, to do that you're going to pay me half as much and at the end of the day I've done the same quote-unquote work I've framed this house and what you have to instill in them is that you can frame three houses in the time that it would take you to do that one house so yes you might be getting quote-unquote paid half as much per square foot but in that time period, in the same time period, you're able to do three jobs. So you're actually going to get one and a half times what you normally would have. Uh, it's hard for them to believe it until they see it. So we usually, you know, try to work with them and negotiate something on the first project or two and say, here, we will, we will pay you X, which is closer to what you've traditionally gotten. Let's keep track of your time. Let's keep track of your hours and let's figure out what your new costs are going to be to install components rather than stick framing out in the field so it's been pretty successful um you know there's always there's always some people that are, are reluctant to try and uh, there's some people that still flat out don't want to change and that's fine that's that's their business they can you know they can do that so Jason, you, you mentioned um, along with starting with wall panels, you also did floor panels or floor cassettes. That's not a, a product that a lot of component manufacturers across the country produce. Can you talk a little bit about uh, floor panels and why you've been able to be successful with that particular product? Uh, and, and specifically, I, I want you to address um, one of the largest concerns that's usually voiced about that is that uh, there's a high transportation cost because you're hauling quote unquote a lot of air in 
um, hauling floor panels. Can you address that as well? Yeah, and I, I, I'll address that one first because first and foremost, when, when we're working with a builder, a uh, customer of ours, they don't really, they don't get a choice. So we're providing the entire framing package. That's 99% of our jobs are, we're providing the floors, the walls, and the roof trusses. Somebody calls us up tomorrow and says, I want roof trusses for my house. Uh, our answer is typically, if we're not providing the rest of it, we're really not not interested in it. So that's number one. And I guess the reason we do it is the sheer time savings. And I probably shouldn't let our, our secret out to the rest of the world, but I'm going to I'm going to do it anyway, but but floor, there's more savings in floor panels in time out on the job site than there is wall panels. So yeah, you're you're shipping a lot of air, but the the amount of time that is actually saved in floor panels is more than makes up for it. If you can take a four-man crew, you know, a day, a day and a half to frame a floor on site, and you can get that same thing done with floor panels in an hour, hour and a half, there's a lot of time savings. Uh, not only labor hours of, of the crew there, but total duration of the home being built, and it's less time that it's going to be exposed to the elements. So it's really about time. Is you know we've done the analysis, and um, if you told me that I couldn't do, you know, if, if we weren't allowed to build floor panels or wall panels tomorrow, I would give up wall panels before I give up floor panels. Interesting. Uh, now, obviously, one of the things that makes that possible for you is that in your market, you and most of your competitors deliver using boom cranes, correct? Yes. Yeah. And you couldn't move those floor cassettes around easily, or even wall panels for that matter, if you didn't have a crane on the job site. Can you talk a little bit about what having that crane on the job site enables you to do? What are the advantages? And in your mind, what are the drawbacks? Um, yeah, there's certainly, there's advantages and disadvantages. The disadvantages are the costs and, and the maintenance on them. Um, the advantages is, is they can move things around the job site a lot faster. Uh, let's face it, we're not, we're not building on a paved, uh, you know, site. We're not in a manufacturing facility. We don't have ideal conditions. So a crane allows you to go up and over the rough terrain and get your product from you know, right from the street, right from the trailer, right to the job site, right in place of where it needs to go. So there's not a lot of multiple handling. It's not laying out in the mud. It's not, you know, getting covered in snow and those kinds of things. Um, so there are advantages and disadvantages. And, and the disadvantages is the cost and the maintenance. And, uh, you know, you, can you set floor panels and wall panels with a forklift? Absolutely. That's We started doing that. We have uh, some of our subcontract crews uh, do that. Uh, it certainly can be done. It's not as efficient, um, but you're certainly not going to manhandle, you know, floor panels uh, and carry them by hand. Uh, and in this day and age, I don't know why you would with, um, you know, workman's compensation costs and, and just the physicality of the industry. You want people to be able to do this physically for a long time in their life, and you don't want them um, hindered by the fact that they can't physically lift a wall and set it in place anymore so i think that's part of part of our approach is like how can we while we've had less people coming into the industry how can we keep from losing people prematurely because they physically can't do the job anymore you know you raise an interesting point jason in that as an integrated company that not only is uh you know designing the components 
manufacturing all the components, delivering all the components, but yes, you're also installing the components. You raised this issue earlier on in one of your answers that you know, you have to think holistically because your company's affected in, in all of those different areas. So anything you can do to increase efficiency, you're in some ways um, spreading out the burden. Like on wall panels, as you mentioned, you're shifting the job site burden of framing labor into the manufacturing plant where you can bring equipment to bear to reduce the amount of labor that it requires to, to build a wall panel. And in the end, because you both have the manufacturing labor and the job site labor, it's a it's a net win for you because you're covering it all. And you also brought up just an interesting point that you're also very uh, concerned with burnout, not only of your manufacturing employees, but also of your installers, right? I mean, I think that's kind of what you're getting at is um, the easier you can make any step in the process, whether it's on the manufacturing side or on the installation side, that's a good thing because you're saving uh, wearing your employees out. That's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, it is. I mean, if I, if I can if I can take you know a carpenter that's been been with us since he was 18 and he can he can physically work till he's 65 because he can because his body isn't all you know beat up and worn out. Uh, that's certainly better than losing him at 55 and having him go sell insurance somewhere else. So, and yes, we are vertically integrated and, and we're probably more in tune and cognizant of it, but shouldn't we be anyway, even if, even if we weren't, shouldn't we be thinking about the next person in line? It's not all, it's not all about us. It's how can we, you know, taking that, that bigger picture approach that, yeah, you might have to pay a little bit more for me to do it, but, and then pay this guy less be able to do it and that's those are the conversations we have with our subcontracted install crews it's like i'm doing more work that's why my product is uh, a little bit more expensive and i'm paying you less for this one job but you can do more jobs so um yeah it's it's getting people to look at a bigger picture than than the narrow little window that they've been looking out of for so long so speaking of the bigger picture you mentioned companies like katera and tecra which are um you know certainly getting a lot of publicity and in one way that's good because it's raising awareness of structural components and, and uh, offsite framing and that kind of thing. Um, from your perspective, I mean, you've been doing this for a while um, with what they're getting a lot of headlines for. You've been doing, actually doing it, perfecting it. When you look five years out, what are the types of things that you would like to see the component industry doing, providing? Uh, what role do you think it should be playing in the building construction industry, anything different than what's going on right now? Um, you know, if, if you're asking what my crystal ball looks like down the road, um, history repeats itself, right? And you know, there's there's been companies. You're right, Integra and Katera are they're not doing anything new, and and they'll be the first to admit it uh, that they just have to be the newest one today. Um, and and can they make it work differently than the people that have come and gone before? Um, you know, there's, I forget what it's called, national homes or nationwide homes, they're out of Indiana or something. I mean, they, they were doing this for in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they had a perfected process that they could get a house up in a day, and, and they built wall panels in, in their factory and floor panels and everything else. So what we're doing isn't, isn't new, but I think you're going to see uh, new approaches. I think you're going to see, I think it's a good thing, more people more new people you get in as competition is going to raise you know raises all boats so everybody else is going to have to step up their game and figure out 
you know, what that looks like. And I think you're going to see some more consolidation. I think you're going to see, and I think that's really what I see is it, what needs to happen for this industry is there is no one big company. There are no, there's no big three like there is, you know, in the automobile, sorry about that. Um, in the auto manufacturing, uh, you, you've, got, you've got the big three manufacturers. Well, you don't have that in the component industry. And to really move the needle, in my mind, you need to be able to do something at a national scale so you can make the investment in technology to automate and perfect the system. And it's going to take a group of people uh, and, and some major investors to come together and be able to see the big picture. I mean, that's really what Katera's business model is really founded on is, is how can we get a national company so that we can make these investments uh, in technology. I think, I think you're going to see more of that is, you know, people want to get into this industry. It's interesting. There, there's in the same yeah, breath is talking about um, this movement towards offsite construction and, and whatnot. It seems that that is really being primarily driven by the large national home builders talking about consolidation, right? So they're sort of making this national push. Do you sell to national home builders? Uh, we do not. No, we sell to some large regionals, but there, there is no national builder in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, you got to go to Chicago or Minneapolis, and we're not, we're not big in in either one of those markets. Um, so no, we do not sell to any nationals, but. You know, Pulte certainly, they had their own facility, multiple facilities where they certainly tried it and, you know, the downturn, they shut it down. So it wouldn't surprise me to see more of the nationals getting into it. There's already, you know, NVR and, and Toll Brothers, those guys have been doing it for years and, you know, the stock does well and they, you know, they do well. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see big builders, uh, you know, making those investments or, at least funding them or co-funding them. Um, that's all it would take is, is a couple of the big nationals to get together and say, hey, why don't we uh, each kick some money in this and build you know, some mega plants that can take care of their production needs. Well, that certainly wouldn't be good for us, cutting our industry out. <laughs> I guess what is perceived as the independent component manufacturer, right? <laughs> no, but sometimes you have, to, you have to be willing to play the what if game and stare the elephant in the room and have those discussions because if you're not having those discussions, it's going to come up. It's going to happen whether you want it or not, or, or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I'm just saying that if you're not looking at those things and being willing to accept that there is a possibility that happens and what does that look like, then you know, you're, you're not looking ahead. You're stuck in what you're doing today. So I'm curious, Jason. If you had some advice for um, you know, your fellow component manufacturers who are not part of an integrated set of companies uh, and they aren't doing all the things that you're doing, uh, maybe they're just doing roof and floor trusses, uh, but they've been thinking about how do I, how do I become more integrated? How do I do the whole, the whole house? Um, do you have any advice for the things that they should think about, um, where they should start? what kinds of questions they should be asking themselves? Yeah, I mean, it really uh, depends on how, how serious they are about getting into it. I think it, it starts with your customer. It, it starts with, if you're not providing value to your customer, you can create the greatest, you know, widget in the world, but if it isn't fulfilling the customer's needs, you know, you've wasted time and effort and energy and money to be able to do that. So I think it really starts with your individual market. Is that something that that market wants and and i get it there's certain things uh people don't know what they want until it's 
handed to them. So it's maybe it's a chicken and the egg thing, but um, you got to make sure that you that you want to do it, that you've got the people and the staff to do it. It's not, you know, I I, I wouldn't say it's easier. I, I think there's more there's more challenges with being integrated because you've got remote sites that you have to deal with. You've got um, you know, rain delays affect you a lot more and what are you going to do with those people and keeping your field crews busy and, you know, what are, what are you going to do with those people when, when you have a job that pushes and, and are you going to bring them in the plant or do you have another job that they can go to? Um, you know, I think it's really coming up with that business plan and running out all those scenarios and identifying potential pitfalls and issues and trying to come up with good solutions and good SOPs that you can put in place that will allow you to overcome the additional challenges because being in it every day, I can tell you that there certainly are different types of fires that need to get put out than, you know, what the, what the manufacturing side of it. And it's not that it's bad. It's just, it's different and you need to be prepared for it. You need to have, you know, trucks that go out to job sites and you need to have tool, different tools and equipment and those sorts of things. So like any business, it comes down to having the right people in the right seat, uh, to be able to do what you need them to do. You can have the greatest idea in the world, but if you don't have the people that can execute on it every day, you're not gonna make it. All right, Jason, last question for you. This has been really insightful and I appreciate um, sort of all the perspectives you've shared. I'm curious, is there a book or an author or uh, a speaker or some sort of other podcast that you follow or that you would recommend to your fellow component manufacturers that have, have given you some valuable insights as you've uh, become a leader, both at your company and sort of in this industry? Um, I read a lot of books and a lot of, a lot of business books, a lot of leadership books, just because I find it interesting. It, it helps keep me, I guess, sharp and in tune with, uh, you know, I've, I've realized that, that my job is to be the leader and I got to figure out ways to be a better leader every day, because if I'm not getting better, my people aren't going to get better. Uh, one of the books I'm reading now, which is it's a very interesting book to me, it's called The Art of Profitability. Uh, it's just uh, thinking about your business differently, that there are different, there are different ways to make a profit. Um, and I'm about three quarters of the way through it, and it's just, there's more ways than your standard you know, way to make, make money and challenges you to think about what are those other ways that you can make a profit in your business, any business. So that one's what I'm reading now. Um, on the personal side, I try to usually read a business book. I usually read like three business books to one kind of fun personal book. Um, I'm reading The Grateful American by Gary Sinise. He's an interesting guy that has, you know, in the last few years really changed his direction of his life and giving a lot back to the military community and, and uh, you know, thanking them for everything that they do uh, for the country. So uh, it's just interesting to read kind of his story and find out about another another human being of, of, and it really it's I guess a little bit on leadership and servant leadership of how he lives his life so uh, podcasts I listen to a couple of them um, I like Dave Ramsey he's got some insightful tips on on money and things like that I listen to the art of construction uh, podcast uh, just kind of staying current with you know what's being talked about in the industry and then now I'll turn on to the SBCA podcast. So I'll be tuning into that regularly. <laughs> well, I appreciate that endorsement, Jason. <laughs> I made the one with Scott. And uh, <laughs> so looking forward to the other ones. <laughs> well, Jason, thanks for joining us today. 
um, we really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you having me on here. It's always it's always fun to chat with you, Sean. I'd also like to thank our listeners for spending this time with us. Hopefully, uh, you've gained some insight into how to capitalize on today's market opportunities. Thank you for listening to SPCA's podcast, Component Connection. We are committed to bringing you a variety of information via this podcast. Please email your feedback or suggestions for future topics to podcast at sbcindustry.com. 